When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, welcome to the first, the inaugural Love Tennis podcast. I'm James Gray. And I'm George Belshaw from Metro.co.uk. And here we are. It's been a long time coming. We are days away from the USA. We we are recording pre-draw, which is bold when it comes to predictions later on. Controversial. Yeah, I mean, it's basically controversial because I'm on holiday, George. That's, (laughs) That's not controversial. I'm allowed to go away. Let's get straight into it. We are two days post Cincinnati Masters final, sleepless nights for people in the UK trying to deal with time zones. What did we learn from Cincinnati, George? Well, I think if we weren't quite sure, we now know Novak Djokovic is definitely back. Mm. He's also kind of re-established himself as, you know, one of the all-time greats. First man to win all nine Masters 1000 titles, which, considering he's playing in an era with Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal, is no mean feat. I mean, even Lendl came close, right? So I think he won all nine Masters when there were previous events before they'd been reformatted but since they've kind of become these nine events as the Masters 1000 titles Mm. Novak Djokovic is the only man to do that and what kind of differentiates that achievement as well is that Lendl played in an era when realistically there wasn't a lot of competition he was world number one for yonks because basically no one else could be bothered (laughs) he was not the player that Djokovic is I mean Djokovic is now the complete tennis player right like across all surfaces you know, Cincinnati Masters should not be a tournament that he wins because it's what it's a super fast court. He's not a guy who benefits from that necessarily. In fact, in many ways, he benefits from the opposite, from a slower court because he moves so well. I was surprised that given he's remodeled this serve, that he was so effective there. I mean, that final against Federer, you said he, he deconstructed him. I mean, what did he do? He served brilliantly in the final. I don't think he had necessarily the best week of his career, Djokovic. He played a lot of three setters, didn't look particularly sharp, but I think what's really stood out and the same I'd say at Wimbledon a bit is when he's played Nadal and Federer in the last couple of months he's just kind of you know lasered in looked completely dangerous he read Federer's serve so well you know Federer 
on his day can be a bit of a serve bot. He's not quite John Isner, but he can, you know, pick lines and be impossible to play against. You know, Djokovic is probably the greatest returner we've ever seen. He's getting to balls he shouldn't be able to get to, making Federer play one more shot. Federer was kind of getting a bit rattled, getting a bit annoyed. I think he got a code violation for an audible obscenity. Which, you know, very naughty, Roger. Everyone yeah. thinks he's such a gentleman, <laughs> and there he is, effing and blinding on court. I love it. And Novak brings that out in him. You know, it's a rivalry that you look at the pair of them, and there's just so much tension bubbling beneath the surface. You know, I, I, okay, they're a bit chummy at the minute because they're trying to promote the Labour Cup, but I do get the feeling that these are two guys with such contrasting styles such kind of respect but also a kind of deep-seated hatred they just both really want to take each other out so it, it got under Federer's skin but also Federer didn't I mean I I didn't see Federer ever really look at his best I mean he struggled against, against Stan Wawrinka he only forced three break points in the first two sets you know, okay, he won. He lost the first and tie rate, won the second tie rate. He had a massive rant at the umpire. To be fair, he was right, but because he didn't get a line call and then just carried on as normal, and then at the end of the game brought it up with the umpire and had a big argument with him. Now we don't often see Federer sitting in his chair, hands in the air, kiriosing at the umpire. So I was surprised to see that. And then he played Goffan. He didn't exactly blow Goffan away, despite the fact that bloke only had one arm and it wasn't the good arm. Are we seeing Roger slow down a bit? It's an interesting question. I mean, when you look at the start of the year, he kind of came out, won the Australian Open at a canter, but largely, I think, a pretty weak draw until mm. the final. And, and Marin Cilic gave him a really, really good match in that final. And, you know, there was obviously a bit of roof gate in terms of <laughs> Cilic didn't know what conditions they were playing in until almost too late, and Federer won the first set comfortably. But then from then, he's not defended his titles in Indian Wells in Miami. He then struggled in the grass court season in Halle. Okay, he got to the final again, which, you know, just underlines how good Federer is. You know, he doesn't have to play his best to get to finals of these big tournaments. But he he lost to Borna Choric there, who'd never won a grass court title and had a pretty shoddy grass court record before that. Mm. And he's lost to Kevin Anderson from two sets up at Wimbledon. Which I predicted, I should point out. What, when he was two love down? Uh, not quite <laughs> when he was two love down, but um, certainly from the beginning. But yeah, you know, he's he's now not looking like the indomitable force mm. that we always know. And even last year... Now, question, is it because he himself is slowing down or is it because the rest of the pack is now catching up? I, I do think he is slowing down a touch, which is to be expected. I mean, he, as I've said a moment ago, you know, he's still so good that he will beat 99% of people on the tour on 99% of days. Mm. But I think... I think Nadal's having a kind of low-key brilliant year. Like, every event he's been at has been at least quarterfinals or beyond. And he just looks quite sharp. He's picked up a lot of points from not so many events as Djokovic and Federer. Mm. And just the bigger concern now is just Djokovic being back. I mean, Djokovic played on Sunday like he'd never been away. And there's a genuine fear for these guys that, you know, it wouldn't be a surprise to see Novak just go and win the next four slams now, which Mm. we didn't think we'd say at the Australian Open. So the US Open starts next week. Before we say anything about it, let's listen to Roger Federer on his own chances. I think it's going to be a very exciting end to the season because everybody's going to probably be healthy or healthier. So that's going to be fun. I'm not the favourite. They are Rafa and Novak, in my opinion. I'm happy that my level is there. I just need to figure out my game. Interesting stuff from Roger, as always. I think the word I have just written down out of that is healthy. Um, Last year's US Open was dominated by the fact that Murray wasn't there. Djokovic wasn't there. Stan wasn't there. Nishikori, sorry, Nikki Shuri, no, Nishikori wasn't there. There was a real lack of, I think, a lack of quality, actually, at the US Open last year, don't you think? On one half of the draw, it was probably the weakest half of a slam we've seen 
in the big four era really i mean there was no obviously no big four member in in that side at all because Murray's late withdrawal left Federer and Nadal on the same side when if he'd have withdrawn two days before, Federer and Nadal would have been on opposite sides and we may well have got that kind of coveted US Open final meeting between the pair of them. The top half of the draw was pretty good. I enjoyed Del Potro-Federer. That was a really, really good match. The quarterfinal, of course, that Del Potro won in four sets. And then Nadal beat Del Potro, who kind of lost steam a a bit, which is fair enough after two very long matches with mm. Dominic Team and then uh, Roger. The other side of the draw was just a bit odd, really. I mean, the quarterfinal run out for the bottom half of the draw was Sam Querrey, Kevin Anderson, Pablo Carreño Booster, and Diego Schwartzman. I mean, you'd be disappointed if that was a Masters 1000 semis, really. It's not a lot of quality. And I should point out that Kevin Anderson played one of the most boring matches of all time <laughs> against Querrey, where he won. He won two tie breaks and lost one and won it in four sets. I mean, that's not what we want out of Grand Slam Tennis. Look, I think the bottom half, what it did bring was the emergence of the young guys. You had Denis Shapovalov, who you know beat Joe Wilfred Songer, I think, in the second round in what was kind of a big breakout match for him on the back of his run to the Montreal semis um, a couple of weeks before. He lost to Corena Buster in the fourth round, but that was the first time we'd seen him at Grand Slam. So that was quite interesting. Mm. And then you, you kind of got to the stage where you had these guys in the bottom half of the slam, none of whom had really laid a glove. I think there was a, a good stat back then that Federer had beaten every single one of them without ever losing a match. And that's kind of how it felt. And it and it proved to be in the end when Nadal just beat Anderson in straight sets really comfortably. It just felt that the top half was guaranteed to win this tournament. Well, we can only hope that it doesn't happen again. I mean, it is a massively different uh, kettle of fish this year. The draw looks so much stronger even though we haven't seen the draw the players who are in it alone is so much stronger um you think about the amount of water that's passed on the bridge in the 12 months before you know we've seen nadal go through injuries earlier this year we've seen Djokovic finally get back to fitness um the one bloke who really isn't back to fitness is andy murray i mean what's a good result for him this this week next week even <sighs> round three i mean it, it it's depends. hard to see it's hard, it's hard to, to say see. without the draw first yeah. and foremost i mean if he draws roger federer in round one you know <laughs> A, a good five-setter is a good result for him. Yeah. Um, it, you know, he had a good run in Washington, but he beat two guys who were low-end top 100, mm. and he beat Kyle Edmund, who he'd played a couple of weeks before on the grass court, so maybe he had a little more idea of how to go about that match. I wouldn't say he was playing particularly well. What, mm. he, what he did show is, you know, as we know, kind of Lionheart, Andy Murray, kind of scrapping for everything, fighting for everything, believing he can win, even when you're watching him like, bloody hell, this guy's a long way off where mm. he was before. But he's had, I think, seven matches under his belt now. No five-setters yet, obviously, because he's not played in a slam. Mm. That's the next big test. Can he come through best-of-five-set matches? And the way he's playing, it's likely he'll be playing a lot of full five set matches he's not going to walk over people he's not at all so that's my concern for him so yeah. I'd say round three would be a really good result right now and maybe even a good five setter depending on who he's playing he's also admitted that he's not really playing for 2018 at the moment you know he spends mm-hmm. 70% of his time in training doing rehab and physical stuff and not a lot of tennis and however much of a talented player he is he's not really played tennis for more than a year and that is always going to affect you know how you go about your game He's not among the favourites. He's three hundred to one, which seventy. Don't write him off too much. Oh, very much so. Seventy. That's not value at seventy. That's not value at all at seventy. I'd want him at three hundred, and I still think it's a bad bet. Um, Yeah, of course, his his British compatriot Carl Edmund is at three hundred to one, which seems weird given that Edmund is the British number one. What are his chances next next week? I mean, I I think he's played some of the best tennis of his career. Obviously, that Australian Open run has 
propelled him into you know the top 20 in the world he's actually starting to look like an actual a bloke who's got weapons at world level kyle's always had a massive forehand he's got a big serve the backhand's improved um markedly this season you know he's he's able to go toe-to-toe a little bit more with the top guys rather than people who are kind of just constantly going to the backhand he's given it a little more flack back a little more distance a little more um pace with that shot so i think that's been his biggest improvement do i see him winning the us open this time <laughs> around no he's been to the fourth round before that's again for him i'd see as a good result mm. but you know you just have to look at last year's us open this is the grand slam that opens up this is the one where it's the back end of the season when guys when odd results come in and the way the draws balance still okay we've not seen it you've still got Djokovic as a potential quarter-finalist rather than one of the four semi-finalists. So you could potentially have him in the same quarter as Rafa or yeah. Roger. And then if you're in a different quarter than that, if Murray ends up in that quarter as well, suddenly you've got a clear route to the quarter-finals or relatively clear route. You know, there are guys up there right now who Kyle Edmund is capable of beating. Well, you know, if you look at last year when he lost to um, Shapovalov in the third round and he was set up in that match as well but had a back injury, if he'd beaten him, he would have got Carreño Booster in the fourth round, with Schwartzman in the quarters, no, Kevin Anderson, you know, like he that that win, okay, it was a different Carl Edmund, but you're right, that draw can massively open up for you. And whereas then, you know, when he was, you know, in the top fifty, just about, it might not have been able to take advantage of that draw. Now he's got the confidence, the weapons, the coach. Let's not underestimate mm. the influence of Freddie Rosengren on that man, um, and the mindset to actually go deep in a draw. But realistically. Yeah, he's 300 to 1 for a reason. There are plenty of outsiders. Carl's probably the longest one. I think a guy we have to talk about is Stefanos Tsitsipas. Um, career high world number 15. You know, biggest wins of his life in Toronto. Unbelievable run to the final. What do you make of him as a player and, and what are we expecting out of him at the US Open? I think the thing I like most about Tsitsipas is the kind of... It, it's been a week-by-week week improvement this year. So, you know... He got to the final of Barcelona on the clay. He was really versatile there, had a really good run. Then he's had his best Grand Slam run at Wimbledon, got to the fourth round. Um, okay, it wasn't necessarily the hardest run he'll ever go on, but that that's still kind of a real sign of improvement. Then he's gone to a huge Masters tournament, got to the final. Okay, he pushed Nadal hard in the second set. The first one, Rafa, as you'd kind of expect, was kind of dominant. But I really like him, and I think he's got that kind of mental attitude like Shapovalov, like Zverev, where these guys, they're here to stay. They believe they're going to be the next big guys. They see that this old gen, as we maybe should call them, <laughs> are kind of... They're on the back end now. They can't be there forever. These are guys who are going to hit their peak at 28 when Federer, Djokovic and Nadal have probably been retired for three years, four years almost. And I think that's the mental attitude to have. You know, They just need to stick around, keep improving. And when these guys go, it's going to be a free-for-all. And they're capable of winning these big matches. I mean, City Pass has got such an entertaining game. He loves a good dive at the net on grass. He loves... He's got a big forehand, big serve. He's, he's got, got great hair. One-handed back and great hair. Bjorn Borg-esque, some oh, people are calling I it. I mean, he plays like Borg. He looks like Borg. He basically is... I mean, he probably could be one of Borg's kids. We don't know. <laughs> Although, actually, I say that. Leo Borg is, I think, 15. He's doing just very what, well. He do, he's he's very won his well. first uh, challenger draw. He's a very good player. But... He's not going to be the US Open main, <laughs> main draw quite yet. Um, who else do you think in the in the young guys? You know, if we look down the list, if we look at, for example, the guys who've won titles this year, obviously you've got Djokovic winning in Cincy and Nadal winning in Toronto. But I'm interested, and I know you are quite excited about the potential of Fabio Fognini this week. 
As I, and I always call him Fognini. I know it's not how you're supposed to pronounce it, but it's got a G in it. I'm going to pronounce it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, potential is probably the wrong word given he's 31. But I think. <laughs> but <laughs> hey, I'm 27. I've still got potential. <laughs> yeah. um, but it gives hope for the rest of us. Uh, yes. You know, he's he's kind of having the best season of his career. He's not far off the uh, top 10 in the race to London sort of thing. He's registered some great results that win in Los Cabos against Del Potro who mm. himself is having the best season of his career you know he's dangerous he's beaten Rafa there before I think it was 2015 he came back from two sets to love down and won mm. 3-2 you know Fognini's one of those players you're just sitting there watching you never know who's going to turn up one minute to the next and that's what happened to Kyle Edmund in the French Open when they met you know Fognini was just walking around doing nothing for half the time <laughs> and the next minute he's firing down about 25 winners in a set you know he's <laughs> he's just an absolute nightmare to play against and I just think I don't think he's going to win it but if he ends up as a third round opponent for someone or you know fourth round he's uncomfortable he's yeah. someone you don't want to play and he's confident it's which because is you just don't get any rhythm against him basically yeah. you know yeah. like when Kyrgios tanks for a set you, you've all it's it's like put you know boxing against someone who all of a sudden isn't there and you're just hitting mm. air you've got no resistance to play against and of course you know because he's quite a fiery character yeah. I mean the man oh he got fined at the US yeah, Open last year, year. <laughs> he's got a lot of improving to do from that. <laughs> yeah he's got about sixty five grand worth of fines to make up for last year so he's got to get to the third round just to break even on two years of US Open <laughs> so let's hope for his sake and his bank manager's sake that he does the the other one. I think you always have to talk about is Alexander Zverev because he is waiting <laughs> for a Grand Slam breakthrough. Mm. Uh, and, you know, I'm sure it'll come. He's obviously got the game. He's beaten big players before. This was obviously the time of year last year when he looked so good. Uh, I, I don't know what he has to do differently. I mean, it's a really interesting one. Um, I think he's a guy who's doing really really well at Masters 1000 levels he's dominating at three set level he's good enough to go toe to toe with the best guys there there was a big kind of pressure on him okay he's not won any five setters so he went through the French Open and won three of those <laughs> almost deliberately yeah Just like, no, no, no. I'm going to do it in five sets mate I mean I'm sure he wasn't going out there thinking right I really need to do all these matches in five sets but there's, there was definitely a kind of inch of pressure on him you know he's still only 21 there probably shouldn't be as much pressure as there is that's more a testament of how good he is or how good we believe he can be but he's kind of answered those questions a little bit although he kind of fatigued by the quarterfinals and you know the best players will say to you yes you need to be able to win five set matches but you also need to take the first three rounds out in three sets hmm. you know why is he not beating these weaker players quickly and easily at grand slam level That that's a a bigger problem you know I think he gets he probably was a little bit weighed down by that five set debate that kind of doubt about his physicality you don't need to be that physical if you're getting it done so quickly mm. so I think that's the sort of thing I want to see from him I want to see him winning his first three matches straight sets couple of you know bagels in there a couple of breadsticks keep mm. it really really low scores really quick times save yourself then get a five-setter in a semi-finals against Federer then get a five-setter against Djokovic against Nadal Prove it there. Show mm. us you're good enough to go the distance there. Don't do it in the early rounds. That's my advice for him. So five sets is the big challenge for Zverev. He answers some of those questions at the French, but of course he pretty much ran out of steam by the quarterfinals. We might not have to answer those questions because we might not have five set matches anymore. It's a great debate. It's one that uh, we put out on Twitter early in the week and uh, it got a lot of a lot of feedback from you on Twitter. It's always great to have you interacting. Fifth set tiebreak, as is done at the US Open. This is from Amy Hooten. Across all four Grand Slams, misconception about length of five-set matches. Majority of one and a half to three hours. I think that's a very good point. 
the US Open obviously doesn't have the interminable fifth set that John Isner is so familiar with. To me, that seems like the logical conclusion is five sets are fine. Uh, as lo- it, it's just the silly ones, you know, like the Anderson Isner match at Wimbledon this year, when they get out of hand and when you've got two big servers and by the end they just can't land anything on the, the returns. That's when it. That's when re- people really complain about it. We don't complain about it otherwise. We didn't complain when Nadal won ten eight in the fifth. I think that that is such an important point in this whole debate. The matches we're talking about are so rare. I think I kind of I topped them up in a piece I did about this, and there's something like there's been twenty five matches that have lasted over five hours since like nineteen eighty mm. something. Okay, three of them were within the last two years. Um, two of them were at Wimbledon. Yeah, enough. Um, which has kind of re-sparked this, but. I don't see it as being as big a problem as people going on about. And you've got people like Billie Jean King kind of saying, oh, you know, the men shouldn't be playing best of five sets. It's taking years off their career. It's nonsense. Well, number one and two, both in their 30s. It's it's absolute nonsense. And, you know, the the thing that's killing these guys physically is the ridiculously long calendar, the ridiculous, you know, play every single week. Come on, play until you drop, play seven matches a week and then turn up next week, play seven more matches. You know, Mm. that that's something that can't continue and you see Federer kind of taking a modified schedule but you're also seeing Federer saying hey I want best of five sets in Masters finals now he wants best of five sets you know he's he's kind of said I would add uh, more best of five sets matches in finals you know Mm. he wants more of this because he knows it's the most pure form and what I would say is okay you know there are a lot of five set matches early in Grand Slams that people won't notice they'll brush over they aren't that interesting Mm. but the purest best format in this game is when you get guys like Djokovic and Nadal in those semi-finals at Wimbledon five sets of just pure brilliant athleticism that you you get people sit there watching marveling saying how the bloody hell has he just done that how is he getting to this shot this deep in how is the quality never dipping from this Mm. and those matches we talk about they don't really happen before the quarterfinals so perhaps that's a better shift in the future keep it just from best of five from the quarterfinals and plus it gives the uh the ladies the opportunity to do the same thing potentially scheduling wise mm. yeah it's interesting because the fans opinion and the players opinions are very different as, as often happens in sport again in the replies that we had james wood on twitter says if you ditch best of five sets anyone who wins a slam will be compared negatively to previous slam winners who won a best of five it's not a bad point but equally you know the tennis they were playing in the 80s was with completely different technology mm. on completely different <clears> courts so i don't know if that's valid what I do think might be valid is uh, from Anna van der W. Uh, never. Best of five is what makes Grand Slam so special. Like the emotions, the stress, the anticipation. I rarely get that from best of three match. I still remember as a 15-year-old glued to my TV watching the 2012 Australian Open final, getting rid of best of five, be a giant mistake. Which kind of speaks to what you were saying is, as a fan watching on TV, you're blown away by how these guys are still doing what they're doing of five sets. It's interesting to hear what the players, completely by contrast, have to say. Maybe unaware of how thrilling they are to watch. I don't know. Uh, Djokovic saying, I would, e- I would even have Grand Slams best of three. This new generation of tennis fans and millennials, they don't have a great attention span and they want things to happen very quickly. So for the players as well, and to attract more people and viewers of a younger audience, we have to keep tennis matches dynamic and shorter. Can I just jump in on that and say what a load of codswallop that is? That is absolute corporate guff and spiel. And that, and I don't think Novak's guilty of that often. I think he's normally very well considered in what he says. But you and I are relatively young men. Relatively. Can, relatively young. You know, we're not quite the young generation. That's, but I think we're in the millennial mm. category. You know, 
I tell you what, I can sit in front of Netflix for four hours in a row. <laughs> Kids do this. They sit around and they binge on these things. You know, it's if, if, if it's a good enough product, if it's sold well enough, if it's all in the same place and affordable, people will do it. Now, tennis, there are subscriptions to about six different channels to cover every single tournament. Just how the hell are you meant to be reaching out to everyone if you can't put it all in the same place? Mm. You know, it's nothing to do with the attention spans. I just don't buy that at all. And if you're telling me kids can't sit through five hours of Djokovic and Nadal being that good at Wimbledon, then I don't really care if you follow the sport or not because that is sport at its purest, at its finest, and it shouldn't be watered down. Mm. And I think that is that is the the reflection that we've got on Twitter is that you know at the top level people do want to see tennis for longer and it's not as though tennis is a failing sport by the way you and i have pretty much built careers on the back of the fact that tennis has global appeal that gets close to football and isn't waning there is not a problem this is if you ask me there's a solution to a problem that doesn't exist and Mm. Djokovic, you know maybe someone's told him this maybe he's trying to be forward thinking and of course we should have the debate but maybe he's coming at it from the wrong angle and he's thinking, actually, we should be going for these people. Tennis is not a sport with a problem with popularity. It's a sport with a problem with injuries, really. That's where we're actually having the problem. And, and you know, why do you have to innovate at these Grand Slam tournaments? Why not take these smaller ATP 250, ATP 500s, do something crazy there? You know, like you've got the uh, next-gen finals where they're trying out these rule changes, doing mm. a few crazy things. Why not do it there? I mean, I don't understand why you need to attack. We're talking four tournaments in the entire year here. Mm. The four sacred, most traditional ones. What? Just leave them alone. Yeah. Leave them alone. They're not They're not failing. No, uh, they're apart failing. from the French Open where they can't sell tickets. But that's because <coughs> the French basically don't like tennis anymore. <laughs> but they're not failing. They're not struggling. I'm amazed that in four years' time, we're going to see about 500 teams qualify for the Football World Cup. Um <laughs> Because FIFA have decided that that's failing and that they need to mess that up somehow. Tennis can't make the same mistakes because realistically, they're still making just as much money as they need to. And actually, the format's working. It's working for fans. It's working for players. The very final point, I'll bring in Andy Murray on this. He was talking about when he was commentating on the Nadal Del Potro match at Wimbledon. He said it was an amazing match. It was a brilliant match. But it was really, really long to sit there as a spectator for the first time. I think that's interesting because it's a player with a spectator's perspective. He said, oh, I had a meeting planned and I missed dinner. People that are sitting there during the week watching that all, I don't think you can plan to do that. But I bet you loads of people had dinner planned and they missed it because it was a thrilling... It was... I didn't... There was football on that night. I think it was a World Cup semi-final mm. on that night. I didn't watch it because Nadal Del Potro was so thrilling. I just... I, it, was, it was out of this world exciting. And that's the moments of sport that people remember. I don't think anyone went to a dinner reservation when the 66 World Cup final went to extra time. They're like, no, this is silly. Extra half an hour. Are you kidding? I've got a table at Claridge's. I'm off to go and see my grandmother. No one did that. They all went, no, I'm blowing that off because this is the most exciting piece of sport I've ever seen. Tennis is trying to solve a problem it doesn't have. The women's draw in the US Open, where I think you would have them playing five sets in the second week, and I think I'd probably get behind you on that George and I don't agree with you on many things (laughs) let's just think about I mean last year was a weird US Open we obviously had no Serena which is always a blow for the US Open it's basically her her home Um, but we still had four Americans in the semis Coco van der Vega Madison Keys Venus Williams and Sloan Stevens who of course went on to win it Stevens is probably the only well she is the only one who's still in the top 10 which is as much a testament to the state of the women's game in a positive way. Hmm. I mean, this is an outrageously open US Open, isn't it? I must admit, every time I have to write one of these preview predictions for 
the women's tour at the minute i'm just leaving my finger on a piece of paper drawing it up and down and going randomly well i'll mm. pick you to win it this time because there are just so many different factors that are hard to call i mean serena's the favorite with the bookmakers right now okay she's reached the final of wimbledon but that that was a pretty weak draw she had to get to that final and then she was outclassed by the first real player of any kind of pedigree grand slam pedigree she met mm. uh, in that tournament so i i still don't see her as the favorite although with serena i'd never write her off i'd see halep probably is the best choice um she won in she won in uh, montreal of course beat yeah. stevens in the final and then, and then got to the final in cincy you know last weekend yeah she's probably the most consistent player she's probably the player who believes most that she's the best in the world and kind of rightly is at the moment and i believe she went out first round last year to sharapova so i think you know from a ranking points perspective it's a great tournament for her to just turn up and pick up a few points kerber is the other one i would say is looking really strong she's been the best performer at all the grand slams been to the quarterfinals of everything um mm. which when you consider how bad she is at the french open normally is a you know no mean feat on her part and then of course sloan stevens i'd be impressed if she just def- defended a grand slam title but <laughs> she's very good on home soil so she's someone who if she gets kind of going she could be a, a big threat again do you think there's a big a big mental block being overcome there for her as well you know to have got that first grand slam title and then to come back and have those memories i mean you know in a tournament that is won and lost especially the women's draw on such fine margins that must be a big bonus for her right yeah i mean it's a it's a really good point because you know we had garbine muguruza when she won the french open title the year after she got completely overwhelmed by a French crowd and left the tournament in tears. Mm. And you could see the kind of mental strain of when you're defending a Grand Slam title for the first time. It's really tough. And and to be honest, like I can't really remember many women in the uh, in the game over the last ten years, other than Serena, who've been good at defending Grand Slam titles. There's a, you know, not many of them have won more than three. I think Kerber's yeah, obviously Venus as well, mm. but she's not been a, a winner for a while. Kerber's the only one who's got to three. Yeah. So. Sloane Stevens shouldn't be walking into this thinking, oh, I did this last year, this will be a breeze. You know, yeah. It's going to be tough for her, and I yeah. think it'll be a stronger draw this time around. One I want to pick out is Kiki Burton's. Mm. Um, having a remarkable summer. She, remarkable year. Yeah, exactly. I mean, she's, she's 32 to 1 in the bookies, which puts her just below Maria Sharapova. Um, I mean, she's got some big wins. You know, Her swing this summer has been she beat Kvitova and Pliskova at the uh, Canadian Open. She got to the final of Cincinnati and she beat Kvitova again. She beat Svitolina and, and Wozniacki retired injured, to be fair. And Van der Vega in the first round. I know Coco Van der Vega's had her problems, but she's still top 25 player. So she's not only doing well in tournaments, she's also beating big players. I mean, she, she beat Halep at Cincy, right? So that alone is a, is a big feather in her cap. She's playing Connecticut this week, which I don't fully understand. She's not short of games. She got to the quarters in Canada and the final and obviously won Cincy. I mean, is she someone who can really make an impact on the draw? I mean, it's the age-old question, isn't it? I think there's a kind of an added mental pressure when you're turning up to these Grand Slam tournaments rather than the kind of slightly smaller week. I know they're you know you've got the same players there same doing it but it it is a very different mental shift into these majors i don't think she'll win it personally Mm. it's one of those where a player is having such a good build-up to a slam that you're suddenly thinking wow they're going to do it that's often when they disappoint most because they kind of feel the expectation is on their shoulders they're coming into it believing and sometimes you get caught a little bit short there i'm not saying that will happen to her necessarily but 
She's got a great chance of going to the quarterfinals, draw permitting, maybe beyond. But I'd be pretty amazed if, you know, the guys I mentioned before, if they're the sort of players in her path to go through them at a Grand Slam later on, I think it's a bit of a stretch for me. Just looking elsewhere at some of the big names in the draw, obviously Caroline Wozniacki comes in under an injury cloud, which is a problem. I mean, the one who I always think is dangerous because if it all comes together, she's one of the biggest hitters in the world is Yelena Rostopenko. We actually had the pleasure of watching her against Kuznetsova at Wimbledon, which was just two five foot five women battering a ball against each other, and it was kind of thrilling. But equally, when it goes to pieces, Rostopenko, it really goes to pieces. Uh, that French Open win starts to look a little bit of a freak now. Has she got seven Grand Slam wins in her again? I think so. I do think so. I think. I see him as a bit of a kind of Stan Wawrinka in the sense that if it's going for her all week long, if she's feeling it perfectly, she's very, very difficult to stop. But there are going to be many first three round losses tied in with a couple, maybe. I don't. I wouldn't like to put a number on how many she can win because she's so young. But I would say it wouldn't be a surprise to see her win four or five majors in her career. I'd be surprised if she got to the stage where she was finding the consistency to be going, pushing on towards 10. But I... You know, I don't view Rostopenko as someone who will win this tournament. That's my personal opinion. I don't. That's not to say she won't, but I wouldn't start out at the beginning of any slam these days and say Yelena Rostopenko is going to win this. Mm. I think she can win it if she turns up and plays to the best of her ability. She's going to take some stopping, but mm. right now, not for me. Great. We'll just clip that up and we'll just play it back to you in two weeks when she's US Open <laughs> champion. That'd be great. Thank you very much. Producer guy's already stitching you up. It's good work. And just for a quick word on Joe Conta. I mean, she's had an up and down year. Uh, it's it's difficult to see her going that far. She's playing Connecticut again. Another playing, one playing Connecticut this week. Presumably just to try and get a few wins under her belt and, and just try and get the feeling of hard courts back again. I mean... She hasn't won many matches this summer. It's been difficult. Where's it? Where have the wheels come off? I mean, the wheels came off the second half of last year after going to world number four. I think there was a combination of that injury that obviously cut her season short, but there was also a bit of a period, a loss of form. I don't know if it's kind of the high of getting to your first semi-final on home soil. Mm. Um, I don't know. I, you know, it's hard to say exactly where it's been going wrong. I think. For me personally, I find her decisions in terms of changing coaches for a long time, I thought they've been odd. She's been with Sharapova's former coach, Michael Joyce, yeah. this year. It's very, it's too early to say it's not worked, but it's it's clear that there's been a big build-up back from a long way down in yeah. the sense that you know she hadn't won any matches in the last six months of last year, pretty much. She's obviously improved on that, but it's maybe been a bit slower than some of, of us casual observers I've been watching. I, I actually think she was playing quite well in the grass season. Mm. Um, she lost to Sybil Kova uh, in a, you know, a difficult match to play when Sybil Kova was so motivated by that seeding change. Yeah. So I, I, I don't think it's quite as disastrous as some will want to paint it. Having said that, she's down to what in the forties now in the rankings. Yeah. You know, there's work to do, but no points to defend. She's got a bit of a free hit. She went out the first round last year to Krunic. Again, it'll be draw dependent. She's probably not going to win it, but I wouldn't be surprised if she was in the second week, for example. Yeah, which would be a great result. As you say, she's world number 46 at the moment, which, you know, she's not a world number 46 no. player. We know that we've seen her, you know, make real inroads at Grand Slams and, and really dominate tournaments. Yeah, so we'll just have to hope. I mean, from a British point of view, with Carl Edmund not looking as great as he has recently, Andy Murray obviously basically just running around on one leg. 
<laughs> kind of need Joe Conta to find some form again, but we'll just have to get lucky. Um, I think that's all we've got time for. It's been uh, it's been great. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you for coming in, yeah. George. I'm looking forward to your predictions being heroically bad. <laughs> yeah, uh, I've heard you make too many actually. Uh, no, no, I'm very <laughs> leaving comf- me very hanging out to dry. Um, if you do want a prediction from me, um, I think Stamford Wrinkle will do better than you think he's going to do. I think we'll qualify that. Okay, I think you think he's going to go out in the second or third round, and I think he might be in the second week, and it might just cause a couple of upsets because he has <laughs> he lost four consecutive first sets, six one, and won all four matches. If that doesn't tell you that there's something in the locker, nothing does. Um, but I'm ready to now see him crash out in the first round to qualify. Excellent. Or to Federer if the draw's bad enough. <laughs> He'll beat Federer. It's fine. <laughs> Um, Ooh, there's a shout. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. Thanks very much, George. I'll see you in a week. Looking forward to it. Sports Social Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.